What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Need It, a sports podcast. I am your host, Zane. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Wida. In this episode, Josh and I break down the first eight games of the NBA playoffs, and we talk about out of those teams down 1-0, which teams should and should not be concerned. After that, we preview the rest of the series and how we think the NBA playoffs are going to unfold. Moving on, we go to the NFL. We have some NFL news for the first time in a couple weeks. A little bit of drama in Atlanta with Julio Jones officially declaring he is out of Atlanta. Uh, After that, we unfold the Aaron Rodgers drama, not reporting to OTAs. And then we wrap up the episode with a shout out to the lefty Phil Mickelson getting his first major win in almost 10 years. Um, as always, if you miss any of our content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Need It Sports. And then also go and join our Facebook group, Need It Sports Sports Discussions. A lot of good debates and discussions going on in there. Um, as always, thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. What's going on, everyone? What's up, Josh? Josh, the NBA playoffs are full steam ahead. We have eight games down, which means we have eight teams up 1-0 through the first round of the playoffs. We got two games going on tonight as we record this. Bucks and Heat going at it right now. Um, Through the first eight games, we've had four underdogs win outright. Mavs, Blazers, Hawks, and Grizzlies. And then a really cool scene in Madison Square Garden. Uh, The stadium was filled for the first time since covid uh, awesome to see the, the stadium jam-packed with 15,000, the Mecca. It doesn't get much better than that. And, you know, to top it off, the game went down to a buzzer beater. So uh, two impressive playoff debuts this weekend. Trey Young, like I just said, buzzer beater to win it, capped off his night with 32 points, 10 assists, 7 boards, only 2 turnovers. It doesn't get much better than that. And then John Morant, last 6 minutes of the game, absolutely took over. He had 26 points on 11 of 20 from the floor, and then he showed up big time when it counted, got his team the dub. Uh, Doesn't get much better than that for John Morant either. No, I mean, uh, as an NBA fan, um, if if you're looking at it from a perspective to see what these young superstars, up-and-coming superstars can do and it, and make an immediate impact in the playoffs, this weekend was a prime example of that. Um, John Moran obviously being able to knock off Steph in the play-in play game, then being able to come in in Utah and still game one. Um, you already spoke on him, but Trey Young, in New York, being able to steal game one, also hitting the game winner, even going to Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, um, two really good players out west in Phoenix, being able to steal game one against the Lakers. Um, and really the most impressive performance of, of round one out of any of the, you know, really can't really say first time. I mean, guys like that are still up and coming, Luka Doncic. I mean, this kid here being able to go out for a 30 point triple double. Um, outshining Kawhi, outshining Paul George. Um, I really, really want Dallas to win this series. I think they're capable of winning this series, but I know we're going to get into a little bit further um, into this segment. But really excited to finally have playoff basketball. I say it all the time. You can hate me for it or love me for it. I'm not a big fan of regular season basketball. I start watching basketball in the playoffs. This is whenever it's seven-game series. Best team typically always wins. Greatness comes out of players. You got rising stars that come out and play above their potential. This is fun basketball to watch, and I'm excited. Yeah, the game really slows down once you get to the playoffs. You don't see a lot of teams dropping 120 a night. I know a couple of teams did it 
but it just doesn't happen as frequently. Teams are actually starting to play defense, and you really get to hone in on what guys are capable of on the offensive and defensive end. And Luca was absolutely the best player on the floor, but we'll touch on that in just a minute. Let's start with the game that's actually going on right now. Uh, it's wrapping up. We're going to go through each game and just say if we're concerned or not concerned about the team or if they should be concerned or not concerned uh, with them being down 1-0. I was going to say that I'm not really concerned with the Miami Heat being down 1-0 to the Bucks because I figured this would be a dogfight of a series, go to six or seven games. Uh, the Heat you know, didn't play incredible the other night, and they still pushed that game to OT with Jimmy Butler being 4 of 22 from the field. And as a team, they only shot 36% from the field. So when you consider that they played that bad and they were able to go to OT and it came down to a Chris Middleton buzzer, you would have thought they had more of a chance tonight. Um, but they have every reason to be concerned right now as they've been down 30 all night. Uh, Pat Connaughton and Bryn Forbes came out and absolutely shot its out. Um, I think the at this moment, the Bucks have 23s in this game. So uh, just never a chance for Miami tonight. And I'm going to, I'm sure you're on the same page with me, Josh, but this series is much over, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we both kind of talked earlier today. I think before this game started, I, I thought Miami was going to be able to even the series and win this game. Um, but, you know, looking back in that game one matchup, Milwaukee only shot 16% from three, Miami shot 40%. Um, looking at tonight, I think Milwaukee shooting three point percentage for tonight is. 41%. Miami is 25. So in my opinion, this is the story of the series right now is who's going to be able to get hot from deep. I mean, both of these teams are shooting a lot of threes. Uh, Milwaukee's going to shoot probably 50 tonight. They're already at 49. Miami's at 25. And then in game one, you had um, Miami. Miami shot 50. Shot, shot 50 and Milwaukee 31. So in my opinion, this is um, this series has been defined by the three ball and being able to stay hot from that three ball. And going back to like how you said, Miami only shot 36 from the field, but they shot 40 from three. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really been the difference in this series. Uh, Miami was hot from the three game one, even though they didn't play well. They were able to force an overtime. Milwaukee was a little too much. Milwaukee being hot tonight. But I think the real big difference between this Milwaukee team this year and the previous years are going to be the additions of Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker. Mm-hmm. I think them being able to have those two guys along with the team that they've had in the last couple of years in the same synergy, I think they're going to be able to bring a little bit more um, spacing on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're also going to be able to bring a little bit more defense on that side of the ball. And I think they're just two kind of gritty players that Milwaukee had been missing, in my opinion. You know, other than Giannis and Chris Middleton, uh, you know, they used to have Brogdon. They don't have Brogdon anymore. It's like, in my opinion, who – okay, you guess you could say Pat Connaughton, but there's no really, like, true dog out there. And I feel like P.J. Tucker's a dog, and I feel like Drew Holiday shows signs of being a dog sometimes. So I think with those additions, they're going to be able to handle Miami for the rest of the series. They'll probably win in five. Maybe Miami can push it to six. But I think this is ser- this series is definitely over for Miami. Yeah, I agree. I think my I think Miami can get one at home, but ultimately this series is done. Uh, you mentioned a lot of guys. Milwaukee has a lot of depth. They got uh, guys that can be elevated by the play of Giannis and Chris Middleton, and that obviously showed tonight. Uh, but let's move on to the Clippers and Mavericks. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. I think the Clippers should absolutely be concerned. The fact that they blew a 3-1 lead last year and they come back and they tank 
at the end of the season, obvious take against the Thunder and Rockets. They do that to get the matchup with Dallas and to avoid the Lakers. The fact that they come out and lose by one of the largest margins of the weekend, losing by 10 to Luka, that's got to be concerning for them. That's it, not the performance they wanted. I know it's going to be a long series and they can bounce back, but Luka looked like and was absolutely the best player on the floor in game one. And I just don't know if the Clippers have the supporting cast that they need uh, to make the run that we've talked about. So I think the Clippers should absolutely be concerned dropping the first game against the Mavericks. Yes, absolutely. I spoke on it as soon as this podcast started. Speaking on it again, in my opinion, Luca had the greatest performance out of any of the playoff first round, uh, the first game one matchups out of any of the playoff games this weekend. I believe he had the best game, 30-point triple-double. Um, and this is a series that I've been looking forward to see. I, I, I think if Dallas somehow can pull off the win in this series in this first round, this is going to be – we yeah, Luca's already had coming-out parties, but this is really going to be his coming-out party. Being able to send Kawhi Leonard and Paul George home, <laughs> I think this that would be huge, not only for him, not only for the Mavericks, but for the game of basketball too. Because at that point, you got to start thinking – What's going on with Kawhi now? Mm-hmm. He's know, been a little yeah. quiet since his to, ring with Toronto. You went to Toronto. You won a ring. Since then, last year, didn't really do much in the playoffs, Kawhi. This year, game one, didn't really do much. Yeah, you dropped 26 out of 22, 10 boards. But obviously, that's not enough. <laughs> so That takeover factor for him hasn't been there. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Um, it really hasn't. And I don't know if that's just – He's not in a rhythm, whatever it may be. And I can say he's not in a rhythm, but dude still is out here dropping 26 points, you know. But in order for the Clippers to be able to win this series, Kawhi is truly going to have to take over. Um, Paul George, I feel like Paul George played a game that he was supposed to play. Dropped 23, 8 of 18 from the field, 40 minutes. That's what Paul George is going to give you. Can't really expect too much more than that. Kawhi, you got to do better. You can't be going and get outscored by Luka, in my opinion. You can't. So, we're going to see what Kawhi does in game two. I personally think that they'll probably bounce back and they'll probably split one at home um, and then going back to Dallas, and we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I think – I agree. I think they'll split. I think they could split again when they get to Dallas. I think this series could go to seven, um, you know, six at the least. I see it going back and forth. And, you know, Luca had that buzzer beater against them last year too, so – I don't know, something about Luka versus the Clippers. He really matches up well, and he takes advantage of them. But obviously, he matches up well against everyone. Uh, let's move on to the Nets and Celtics. Uh, Celtics down 1-0, of course. It's the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Boston really doesn't have much to lose. But, yeah, sh- they should be concerned because their season's on the line, and they're probably staring a, a sweep or a five-game series in the face right now. Um, and I think they're just a little defeated with Jalen Brown seizing in the ending injury. Um, you know, with him going down, they couldn't afford to lose a star like that. And, you know, quite simply, they just don't have enough to compete with the Nets. Not a lot of people do, but when you lose one of your best players, it's going to be hard to stay in these games. Um, you know, Brooklyn didn't shoot the lights out, but they have three guys that can go and are, are primed to take a shot when it matters. And the Celtics, what they have is really Jason Tatum, which is great. I feel like at this point, they're really asking Jason Tatum to carry too much of the load. Uh, and, you know, if they want to steal a game in this series at all, Kimba, Kimba's been solid down the stretch, but have to be, you know, vintage cardiac Kimba to give them a chance in any, in, at any cost in this series. So uh, I just think, you know, Boston should be concerned. 
uh, their season's probably over here, you know, going against the Nets. But what can you expect? Brooklyn is the team to beat this year. If I'm the Celtics front office, I'm telling my organization, do not let Jason Tatum get hurt. Try to win one game. Let's get to the offseason and let's start our, 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 our vacation. Okay, let's go fishing. <laughs> Bottom line. Do not I think if they get Jason one, if I think Tatum if they get one, that's get, a win. Do not let Jason Tatum get hurt and try to steal one game. That's it. That's it. That's all I'm looking for if I'm the Boston front office. There's no way that they're beating Brooklyn in a seven-game series. There's, there, there's no way. Not without Jalen Brown. Um, there's absolutely no way. I'm sorry. Um, so at this point, they need to they need to try to steal one. Right, try to still want to be competitive as an organization because you are the Boston Celtics. So show some competitive fire um, and try to compete. But at the end of the day, understand what you got in a guy like Tatum, and understand, you know, the 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 risk is not really worth the reward to that extent. So I would keep that in mind. Um, it's unfortunate how Boston's season has played out. We're gonna see if they have a new head coach next year. We'll see how all it kind of pans out after the playoffs. Um, how soon, how late that may happen, we'll see. But I guarantee you, I, I personally think that Stevens uh, out of Boston. I think that they're going to bring somebody else in. Um, and we'll see if Jalen Brown can bounce back and, and they can be healthy and try to make a run at it again next year. Brooklyn, they did what they're supposed to do. They're probably going to sweep this series. Um, but even if it does go five, um, I think they're going to be fine and they're going to be well-rested. Definitely. Well, let's talk about the last game that took place on Saturday night. Um, it was the Trailblazers and Nuggets. Uh, for me, I think the Trailblazers should be the favorites in this series. When you consider that the Nuggets don't have Jamal Murray, this isn't a great matchup. Jokic can dominate down low and he can get good numbers and keep Denver competitive, but it, it's not easy stop the duo of Dame Time and C.J. McCollum, not when you have Austin Rivers and, you know, Francis Capozo or however you say his name as your, as your backcourt. So I just think that right now the, the Nuggets are outmatched. Um, it's just it's just not – Dame's got – Dame's got an advantage no matter who's on him. And outside of MPJ, Aaron Gordon, and Yoke, like who's going to step up, you know? They need a guard to step up. Is it Austin Rivers? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? We'll see tonight. That game just tipped off. Um, but you don't want to rely on a guy like Austin Rivers to try and, uh, you know, keep it tight with Damon CJ. So I think Denver's 100% in trouble. Uh, I think the better team won game one, and I think Portland should be the favorite in this series. Yeah, nobody in that backcourt is checking Dame Dollar. Nobody. Not a single soul. Marcus Howard ain't, Monte Morris ain't, Austin Rivers ain't, Composo ain't. None, nobody in that backcourt is checking Damian Lillard at all, at all. This series is over with. I feel bad for the Nuggets fans. They had a good season this year. Um, you know, they they really did. They had a good season this year. Unfortunately, Jamal Murray, CL. Um, it's tough, but they're they're just not built to be able to win games without Jamal Murray currently, right now, as it, as they are right now. They're not built like that. Um, so this series is over with. I personally think this is probably going to be a sweep. 
we'll see tonight. Maybe Jokic can and, and Michael Porter, you know, can get really, really hot. But I mean, even last night, Jokic thirty four points. Michael Porter Jr. twenty or not last night, I'm sorry, but last game. Jokic thirty four points, Michael Porter Jr. twenty five points, Aaron Gordon sixteen points. It's not like these guys had a bad game. DJ McCollum only dropped twenty one, Dame thirty four. Just between them, that's fifty four points. Still got, but the Trailblazers, the Blazers have exactly the Blazers have Nurkic, still, not neutralizing Jokic, but kind of Covington setting it off. A Carmelo eighteen. I mean Simon's fourteen. I think Portland is a much deeper team than Denver, um, and, and and I think this series is over, man. I, I would be surprised. I'll be surprised if this game, if this series goes past five games. I think it could go to six. I see six happening just because Jokic is that talented. But they are heavily, heavily outmatched, as we just spoke about at the guard position. And, you know, like you said, they got they got Melo coming off the bench, too, for Portland. Um, Nurkic isn't going to, you know, slow down Jokic, but they're getting production at center, whereas Denver's not getting production at the guards at the guard position. So, um, you know, that's it's an it's very obvious what this series is going to come down to. And they're going to need those guys we talked about, uh, Camposo and Rivers to, uh, to step up. if They're going to have a chance in any game or they just need a, a completely off night by Dame and CJ. But the latter is less likely. So we'll see how it goes. Let's uh, let's move over to the Sunday slate. We have uh, Washington down one zero to Philly. I think that's expected. I'm not really concerned for Washington because, in my mind, uh, getting through the play-in, they're playing with house money at this point. They don't have anything to lose. Um, they weren't expected to make the playoffs. I guess you could say they have something to lose because Russ's legacy rides on it, but they have no chance of getting it getting to the end anyway. So the fact that they were able to make Washington, you know, Russ and Beal make Washington a little bit relevant this year, uh, I think that was a good thing. And and like I said, I think they're playing with house money. And the fact that game one was even close is a good thing. And, you know, if they can, like the Celtics we talked about, if they can just steal one game in this series, I think it would be a success for their season. Because they got through the play-in, weren't expected to be here, and yet here they are, uh, you know, even covering the spread of plus eight and only losing by seven in the first game. So I think that was a win for them just being in it. Yeah, I agree with you, Philly. They're going to win this series. Everyone knows that Washington's not going to be able to beat Philly. Um, but I do want to make a comment on this, and this is going to kind of take us back to one of the discussions that we have in our Facebook group. And, guys, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, definitely make sure to join it. It's needed sports, sports discussions. have a lot of hot topic debates in there. One of our debates that were brought up, actually, this past week, I remember being in Chicago talking about it, um, was – was who is better or who would you take as your point guard, Russell Westbrook or Allen Iverson? And, of course, I picked AI. I think you picked AI, too. Uh, but we had some people, you know, pick Russell Westbrook, and, you know, they had their, their, their comments and what they thought were facts. But I just want to say one thing and one thing only. Allen Iverson would never, ever only drop 16 points in the game one of a freaking NBA series playoffs. And round one, never seven and seventeen from three from the field, oh two from three. Yeah, he had fourteen assists, but I mean, everybody that's always on this Russell Westbrook hype train again, I'll always say he's too inconsistent. You never know what you're gonna get out of him. 
You never know what you're going to get out of them. Poor Bradley Beal's over here hooping with the limp leg, probably 60% going out here, having to shoot the ball 23 times and dropping 33 points. He dropped 33 and he shot one of six from three. Bradley Beal is out here hooping. So don't tell me about who's better, Russell Westbrook or AI, whenever Westbrook ain't even the best player on his team. He ain't even the best guard on his team. And the other guard ain't even healthy. So Washington did what I thought they were going to do. They're probably going to keep it close because Westbrook, you know, he hates hates Embiid. He's going to compete a little bit, but got to give it out to Embiid dropping 30. I mean, Tobias Harris dropping 37. Um, Tobias is, in my opinion, man, uh, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, he I definitely think, is. I think Tobias Harris is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Whenever the Sixers got him, I knew that was a great pickup by them. Great score. And whenever he gets hot, he gets hot. Mm-hmm. Hot. So only two of five and still drop 37. That's two of five from three. Um, so pretty, pretty impressive outing by those two. I think Washington doesn't have enough to win this. They may be able to steal one or two, but, um, Philadelphia is definitely going to win this series. Yeah, they are. They'll probably sweep them at max five. Um, yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons, though, I'm a little concerned about his scoring. I mean, everybody has been, but he had he had 15 assists and 15 rebounds, so a little bit of a Russell Westbrook stat line, um, but only, only six points. So Tobias stepping up was big, but can Tobias do it consistently throughout the series? We know they can rely on Embiid, but – you know, Washington doesn't play good defense at all, so Harris should be able to continue his production. Uh, but we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, let's move on to the Lakers. We talked about the Lakers. We said the Lakers weren't facing that much pressure, obviously, because they won last year. They're the defending champs. But I got to be honest, dude, their offense has not looked good in their last two games, not against Phoenix and not against Golden State. Again, Suns, the Lakers shot 43% from the field, only 26% from three. And against Golden State, it was 40% from the field and 32% from the three. Uh, you know, quite simply, they just haven't been able to score much. Uh, AD has been off to very slow starts in both games. Uh, nobody on their team scored 20 points in the last game, coming away with only 90. So I think that's a little concerning. But ultimately, I'm not that concerned about the Lakers because – AD and LeBron have been out for so long. Their chemistry's gonna be a little off, and they've been relying heavily on their defense. And their defense has showed up in both both games. You're talking about a high scoring offense in Phoenix, and they held them to only 99 points. Devin Booker, absolutely a star. He went off. DeAndre Ayton played very well down low, uh, but I think that's gonna shift a little bit. This series will probably go to six or seven. Uh, but I'm just not that concerned with the Lakers right now because I think they can bounce back in the next game. They've been absolutely ice cold, and they won the first game against Golden State, and then in this game they still kept it close. So if they can just turn it around a little bit, I, I think LeBron needs to be a little bit more aggressive, which is crazy. He is a very pass-first player and likes to get his team involved, uh, but at some point he's got to take over, and hopefully him doing that will – you know, bring the defense on him a little bit more and give AD some better opportunities to get going as well. Because AD needs to get in the paint early and, and get his shot because he's, he's been trying to start with the jump shot and moving out with the threes too, and it just hasn't been there. So if he can start down low and get a rhythm, I think it'll open up the offense for the Lakers. But uh, overall, just not concerned with them just yet. I think they can even the series in game two. 
What did Aaron Rodgers say a couple times? Relax. Relax. <laughs> this is LeBron James we were talking about. This man has never lost in the first round of the NBA playoffs. He's not losing this round. Anthony Davis just has got to step up, man. I mean, his plus and minus in the first game was negative 18. Negative 18. Okay. Um, he only shot 5-16 from field, 0-2 from the three. Me, personally, I think they're fine. I think AD needs to just go out and continue to do what he does. But they got to get rested. I feel like they're still not – 100% back. I feel like they don't really have their legs under them just yet. And I feel like since their offense, meaning not being able to make shots, they haven't been as fluid. Um, and again, like you said, chemistry, not playing together. LeBron was playing whenever AD was, wasn't playing. Then AD was playing when LeBron wasn't playing. Now they're both back. And, you know, we're, we're expecting everything to just gel and mix right away. We know that that, that doesn't happen, right? So, got to have time to get their feet back on them, get their legs back on them, get that conditioning, that stamina back under them. Once you have that, then they can go on those offense runs late in the fourth quarter whenever they've been playing tough defense all game, okay? Against Golden State, you're just having to really guard one guy. Phoenix can't do that. You got Devin Booker. You got Chris Paul. You got Malcolm Bridges, who I think is going to be one of the X factors of this series if Phoenix does have a chance. Um, really, really talented player. Jameson Crowder, hard-nosed guy. Um, you know, even Sarek, Cameron Johnson, um, I think he's another really good guy that can be able to play a big impact on this in this series for Phoenix. But I think right now the Lakers are having to exert a lot of energy on the defensive side of the ball, and their legs aren't there whenever they need them to be, whenever they – aren't able to get easy transition buckets whenever they're actually having to slow the ball down, get the ball in half court, and be able to actually make clutch buckets and go on runs. I feel like their legs aren't there just yet. But they're going to be fine. I'm talking about the greatest basketball player of all time here. We're okay. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Um, and, hey, even if they lose game two, it'll set up for an even better story for LeBron to come back and be able to win this series. So, just relax. Again, we'll sit back and enjoy and witness greatness like always. Yeah, and they, they've had opportunities, but like you said, the shots just haven't been falling. So I, I think that'll that'll change next game. I think they just they need to come out with more energy, uh, you know, more more pushing the pace on the offensive end to start the game. And like I said, get AD in the paint early. Uh, you know, get him to take advantage of Aiden, whoever's down there on the block on him, and and just go to work. Just put your head down, get your shots early, and then start to move out and spread the floor. So uh, we'll see if they're able to do that in game two. Um, I got to get to the next game, though. I think was the most exciting game game of the first round so far, and that was the Knicks and Hawks. And a lot of it had to do with not only this game going down to the wall and the Trey Young debut that we talked about, but also, like I mentioned, this was the first time that Madison Square Garden has been nearly filled filled with fans since COVID. So this has been a long journey. You know, it's been over a year now. And to see, out of all stadiums, you know, the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, be packed with 15,000 fans 
and this game come down to a final shot by Trey Young, I thought it was amazing for sports. I thought it was awesome to see, um, and, and it had me on the edge of my seat, especially, you know, you consider the fans first time since so, – but this is also the first time the Knicks have made the playoffs since the 2012-2013 season uh, when they were in the conference semis. So you have that going on as well. You have Derrick Rose out there seeing him uh, make big shots at the end of the game. Uh, the, I don't know if you saw one of the last possessions, but the Knicks kept passing it. I don't want the shot. I don't want the shot. You want the shot? And D. Rose got the ball and said, all right, I'll take it myself. He drives in the lane, slashes quick, gets a floater up and in, and then obviously Trey Young goes and ends it. But um, I'm not concerned about the Knicks at all. I think this is going to be a long series, six or seven games as well. Um, this team this year has exceeded all expectations. I mean, they're a five seed, and they weren't expected to to be in the playoffs playoffs at all um in the first game was was fantastic and exactly what i expected from from this matchup so a lot of young players on the court for these two teams uh and, and trey young again 32 points 10 assists seven boards in its playoff debut it doesn't get much better than that um i just i think the nba is in good hands and it's great for basketball when the knicks are in the playoffs as well even though they didn't win then being back back in the playoffs and being able to madison square garden in prime time uh, I just I just think that's great for the sport. So Nick shouldn't be concerned at all. This is going to be a long series. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you. This is going to be a long series. I think this series is going to go to seven games. These two teams are evenly matched. Both of them have 41-31 records this year. I mean, even looking at game one, field goal percentage, Atlanta at 46 New York at 44, three-point percentage was Elena at 35, New York at 33. Um, rebound was 42 to 49, assist 17 to 21. Um, I, I think the Knicks, if if they're going to want to have a chance to win this series, not, not a chance because they're going to have a chance, but if they're going to want to win this series, they have to do a better job taking care of the basketball. That's going to be the difference. Atlanta takes care of the basketball, obviously, because the ball's in Trey Young's major- hands majority of the time. Um, so for New York, them not really having that true just point guard. Yeah, they got Derrick Rose, but talking about a point guard that you can just depend on all the time with the ball in his hands, they're going to have to clean that up a little bit, having 11 turnovers that probably cost to them. Um, and, you know, Trey Young coming in and making a big-time shot in a big-time moment. You know, um, I think I think it's great for the game. To be able to see fans back in Madison Square Garden, seeing Spike Lee running up and down the side of uh, court side, you know, just hyped up whenever they were going on those runs. So I'm definitely looking forward to this series going to seven games. It should be a fun and exciting one. But um, I'll say I think uh, both of these teams, regardless whoever comes out, both of these teams are getting knocked out of the next round. So both of them should play their tails off to try to win this first round and, and be appreciative that they're in the playoffs. So um, hopefully it goes game seven and we'll see, and hopefully we get to couple, see a couple of more buzzer beaters. Yeah, I agree. And again, you, you alluded to the turnovers, but Julius Randall comeback player of the year candidate, he's completely transformed his game and I've loved watching. He's become a facilitator, um, but he didn't have a good game. He was only six of 20 
from the floor. He was getting to his spots, getting his looks, and he couldn't get anything to fall. And really, it was the impact of Alec Burks off the bench going and getting 27 points on 9 of 13 that kept New York in this game. So if, if New York is going to want to win and close out games, uh, they really need to take advantage of the next game because they were 25 and 11 at home this year, a great home team going against a, a not a very good away team in the Hawks who were 16 and 20 on the road. If they're going to want to take care of business and even this series, Julius Randle is going to have to take over and he's going to have to get his shots to drop. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes again. We both said this series could go to seven. I think it's going to be a back and forth, a back and forth series. It should be split when they head to Atlanta. If not, then the Knicks should be a little concerned. But as of right now, uh, a great first game, you know, for first time in the playoffs in nearly 10 years. So n no reason to be concerned just yet. Uh, let's move on to the Utah Jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies. This was the last game of the weekend. Uh, the Jazz are down 1-0 to Memphis. I also talked about the debut of Ja Morant earlier in the episode. He had 26 points on 11 of 20 from the floor, and he showed up big time when it counted. I believe he had 10 points in the fourth quarter. I was watching that game. He kept getting to his spots in the paint, just blowing past everybody as if the defense was there and just laying it in. And that's mainly because uh, Eiffel Tower, Rudy Gobert, actually fouled out. Uh, so it was a little bit easier for him to get those shots up without the defensive player of the year in the paint. Uh, so John Morant had an awesome debut. Last six minutes of the game, he was doing whatever he wanted. Um, but I'm not concerned for the Jazz yet because Donovan Mitchell misses this game, which is obviously the engine of this team. Uh, this year, the, the Jazz won 65% of their games without Mitchell, 75% with him on the floor. Uh, reports came out today and said that Donovan Mitchell is ready to go for game two on Wednesday night. He he missed the first game as a late scratch, and you could tell on the sideline by some of his antics and stuff that came out today, he was obviously not happy about sitting out. Um, but, you know, for, for the Jazz to barely lose without him, I think that's a good sign. They had other guys like Bogdanovich step up. Uh, had Rudy Gobert not fouled out, they might have had a chance to actually win this game at the end. Um, I don't think Memphis has enough scoring. John Morant and Dylan Brooks have been very good. But when Donovan Mitchell comes back, he's going to be the best player on the floor, in my opinion. And I think that he's going to really dictate how the rest of this series goes. And I expect Utah to win this series in six games at most. I think Utah is going to be okay. Um, in my personal opinion, I don't think Dylan Brooks has it in him to come out and drop 31 again. I think Dylan's a great player. I was a fan, with him, fan of him while he was at Oregon. But be able to go out and drop 31 points, John Moran, 26 points. I mean, these guys are playing like they're Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum. In my personal opinion, I don't think either of those guys in respective comparisons are on those levels yet. So with Donovan Mitchell coming back, I think everything's going to change. The entire pace of the game is going to change. Utah is going to be just fine. Um, Memphis did what they were supposed to do, though. Donovan Mitchell out. They came out. They stole one. And they barely stole one, but hey, they stole one. Um, but I, I, I only see them probably winning maybe zero or one more games in this series. Um, I could see Utah either winning it in five or winning it in six and getting ready for the second round. Definitely. So it looks like we're on the same page with, with you know, almost all of the matchups. Um, you know, playoffs have been good so far. Like we said, the Heat got absolutely blown out and ran out of the building today. Um, Denver's up eight right now, 31 to 23 first quarter against Portland. Uh, I expect that game to be back and forth all night. 
but we'll see how it goes and we'll touch on it more, uh, you know, as these games start to roll with the playoffs continuing every night. All right, Josh, let's move over to the NFL. After a couple of weeks, we some more drama going on around Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers. So a little bit for us to talk about and unwrap here. Um, you know, news surfaced this morning from Shannon Sharp that Julio Jones is out of Atlanta. He, he actually requested a trade back in March. Uh, so those reports that surfaced around the draft, um, you know, that actually, you know, came out of him requesting a trade, which we didn't know until today. Um, the reports are that Atlanta wants a first rounder, but according to several execs around the league, they're just not going to get that mainly because of the cap hit that he brings on at 23 mil. Uh, he is signed through 20. So already two years old. So it doesn't seem that they're going to get that. Um, and then last year he was obviously banged up a little bit, missing seven games, only playing nine, but I don't think that's too much of a concern for, because most of his career, his durability has been just fine. But I know you allude on just how, this this news broke this morning and how it got to social media yeah so definitely an interesting way of how this news broke this morning i mean if you were watching undisputed you know live with shannon sharp and skip bayless on their show shannon just picks up his cell phone gives julio jones a call he's like julio julio and he's like what's up he's like what's happening he's like hey man it's your favorite uncle he's like hey man so so, so you know, there's some pictures out there of you wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. You know, I, I'm just one. I want to know, are, are you planning to go to Dallas? Or are you planning to leave Atlanta? And Julio straight up said on the phone, hey, I'm out of there. He's gone. He's done. He's already asked Atlanta for a trade. Um, Atlanta's already said, hey, okay, we respect everything that you've done for our organization. If you want to trade, we're going to allow you to, you know, we'll, we'll start listening to trade offers. The thing is now is Elena wants a first-round pick for him. And me personally, I think that's a little too much, um, especially considering the caps, cap, cap hit that these teams would have to inquire after you're trading for Julio Jones. Um, and the fact that, like how you said, he's 32 years old. I mean, are you really willing to give up a first-round pick for a 32-year-old receiver, regardless if it is Julio Jones? Um, I mean, this is a move probably Bill Belichick would probably make or somebody like that. Hey, who knows? Maybe Ryan Pace will make it. I doubt it. <laughs> but, boy, if you see Julio in Chicago, that would be scary. Uh, but I highly doubt that will happen. I think he's probably going to wind up ending up in, like, Indianapolis or Tennessee. Uh, it's funny. I'm saying two p- teams in the AFC South division. But a team that really needs some help on the, on the offensive end, maybe New England really does go out and get him. Um, I think, actually, they have the best odds of receiving him right now, plus 400. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Julio Jones, he's always been in Atlanta. That's where we've always known him to be. He's been one of the, you know, just signature, consistent, year-in, year-out guys. And so it's kind of crazy to see a guy like that leave, almost kind of like Randy Moss leaving the Vikings. It's like, whoa, especially the impact that he can have on somewhere. So, um, it'll be interesting to see where he lands, but definitely a, a weird time in the NFL whenever you got Julio Jones coming out saying that he's out of Atlanta. It, uh, it It's definitely weird, that's for sure. Yeah, it is, and Julio's definitely going to be traded, but to where is the question? And New England seems like the front runner. Uh, they appear to be you know, wanting to be aggressive because they know they need to make up for the, the lack of experience they have at the quarterback position. 
and the lack of arm and Cam Newton. So what better to do than go and get a weapon like Julio? I think it would be it would be it would be the biggest move they've made at receiver since they went and traded for Randy Moss. That's for sure. Um, definitely the most talented receiver since Randy. Uh, Julio has the second most receiving yards in NFL history over the last seven years, from 2014 to 20. Um, you know, only behind the goat, you know, or proclaimed goat Jerry Rice. So I think you know. It, it, Baltimore is interesting. San Francisco is interesting. Uh, Indy's interesting. Uh, New England. Um, and the odds being at plus 400, plus 500 for the favorite, we really have no idea where he's going when you look at odds like that. So everyone's kind of a long shot right now. And I guess it'll come down to who's willing to give up that first rounder. If you give up a first rounder, you're probably assuming that you're going to be at the end of the first round when you go and acquire a guy like Julio. So um, I, again, I, Baltimore is interesting because they've needed a weapon for so long. So you think that they might pay a premium to go and get a guy like that. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see where Julio is going to land. Uh, but the four places I mentioned, I think are all great landing spots for him. You have Indy, who's a, an incredible organization top to bottom. They always have been. San Francisco's absolutely loaded, but I don't know if he really fits that scheme. But then again, it is Kyle Shanahan. So maybe he does. Um, you know, they just, they, they have gadget receivers usually that, you know, they like to set up on runs and short routes and, you know, they'll make a play, but, uh, Julio is a guy that can give them another dimension of going up and getting the ball. So, uh, again, I like all of these landing spots, but I'm really, really interested to see how this unfolds more over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Too bad the bears don't have the cap space to pull this trade off because God, if, if I'm Brian Pace and I had the cap space to pull something like this off especially after the draft that I just pulled off. You talk about being able to save your job and get some security. I mean, holy crap. Um, but, yeah, it'll, it's going to be interesting to see where he's going to land. Um, he's definitely going to make an immediate impact wherever he goes. So uh, it's going to be a shakeup in the NFL. Hopefully he can get out of the NFC and go over to the AFC and those corners can deal with them because uh, I know – I know. I know my Bears corners, they're going to be happy that they don't have to line up against Julio. <laughs> That's definitely, sure. definitely. Well, more reports are out on Aaron Rodgers today. Uh, a couple of different things. He apparently is recruiting a super team to join him elsewhere. So uh, whatever that super team is, I don't know who he's reaching out to, but uh, that was the report that surfaced per Bleacher Report this morning. And then the news also came out that he's not at OTAs. And I think a lot of people looked at him not being at OTAs like, Eh, whatever. It's voluntary. It's not mandatory. Nobody really goes to OTAs. That's fine and a good argument. But when you consider that Rodgers has never missed OTAs or any offseason programs, um, and he, this is what blows my mind, he forwent his $500,000 workout bonus. He's not going to get that. And I would just like to point out that I'd work out eight times a fucking day if I was getting a $500,000 bonus. So the fact that, you know, he's out in Hawaii chilling with his girl you know, sipping on some cold drinks and not really worried about the, these off-season programs, uh, that's definitely alarming for Packer fans when you consider that he's never missed any of these things and that the reports also came out, uh, you know, to supplement that today that he's recruiting people to go elsewhere. Um, I think that he he will be traded. Um, a lot of people have kind of been waiting for it to happen, but another thing to, to really point out is that if they wait until after June 1st, which is now coming up in, you know, a week or so, their dead cap hit on – Rodgers goes from 38.4 million to 21.2 million. So you can definitely assume that they're waiting for that. And then June 8th through 10th, you have mandatory mini camp coming up. And if he's not there then, then the fines are going to start to accumulate. So 
Uh, I, I think we're going to know a whole lot more about this story within the next two weeks with those two things coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's definitely him going to be going to a team that has a lot of salary cap space, uh, especially with reports of him coming out trying to build a super team. Um, so before I kind of get a little bit further, I want to ask you that. If, if that's what we're hearing, if he's wanted to go out somewhere and build a super team, where do you think that possibly could be? Are we thinking Vegas? Are we thinking Denver? I mean, where, where, where are you thinking that that's a possibility? I think both of those are reasonable options, but I say Denver more because of how that offense already looks and the fact that Vegas has a bad defense. Um, you know, some of the calls that John Gruden has made with personnel and Mike Mayock has been very questionable. Um, I give the edge on the defensive side of the ball to Denver, and then I, I just think they have more weapons. So if Rodgers – if I put Rodgers in the Denver offense or I put him in, you know, the Vegas offense, the Denver offense is going to be better, right? So I think Denver makes a lot of sense. Um, they have just an absolute load of weapons – um, you know, a, a stable line. Uh, they just went um, and, and got their guy in the draft. So I think ultimately, I think Denver is way more set up to win and build a super team. But when you talk about super team, I just don't know who it is he's out there recruiting to try to get to join him. That's what, you know, piques my interest. Because if it's an offensive player, then maybe you just go to Vegas and add more. But if it's defense, maybe you try to bolster the defense in, in Denver. So it's a really interesting thing. But uh, Denver makes the most sense to me because he'd be playing outside still as well, which gives him an automatic advantage over other quarterbacks. I've been saying this for, for weeks now, ever since we've had this Aaron Rodgers drama um, from the morning of the draft, uh, first draft um, day whenever reports came out saying that he didn't want to return. Um, so with that being said, just from what I said, I think he's going to have to go to a team that has a lot of cap, uh, cap space. And and out of those two teams, out of, really out of all the teams in the NFL, the teams that have the most cap space for this year, and, and I'm not listening to them in order, I'm just kind of going with like top five, whatever it may be. Um, you got Detroit. He's not going to Detroit. You got Denver. That's an option. Um, you got Cincinnati. He's not going to Cincinnati. Um, you also have the Colts. He's not going to the Colts. These teams already have the quarterback situation kind of figured out. Jacksonville, not going to Jacksonville. Kansas City, not going to Kansas City. Vegas, that's an option. The Chargers, not going to the Chargers. So whenever you're looking at these teams and with their cap spaces, and these, you got to look at a team that it doesn't really have a solidified quarterback situation, right? Look at Denver. Head coach, Vic Vangio. This guy knows Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers knows him very well. I've seen in person and heard in person many times of Aaron Rodgers giving praise to Vic Vangio whenever we would play Green Bay and Vic Vangio was our defensive coordinator. So maybe Aaron Rodgers does want to have a defensive-minded head coach so that way he can lead the offense however he wants to, right? Mm -hmm. He goes into Denver. They have a really solid secondary. They got a really good pass rush, especially if Vaughn Miller can come back and start being effective like how he has, like how he was maybe about two to three years ago. Um, got even better in the secondary with drafting Patrick Sertain. Um, and you look at the offensive side of the ball. You got Melvin Gordon. You got Yvonne Williams. You got a pretty good old line there. Um, you got Jerry Judy, you got Cortland Sutton, 
You got um, KJ Hamler. And if you're able to bring in Aaron Rodgers, and let's say you go get a guy like Julio Jones, huh? Yeah. I mean, gosh. And, and, and yes, he would be going in the AFC West. He would be in a division with Justin Herbert. He'd be in a division with the Raiders. He'd be in the division with Pat Mahomes, right? But Aaron Rodgers is used to that competition in the division. He's already coming in from one of the most competitive divisions in the league, which I believe is the NFC North. Not saying they're the most, but one. So I don't, for anyone to say, well, maybe he doesn't want to go there and play there. Look at Tom Brady. He went into Drew Brees' division and knocked him out in a retirement. <laughs> Not saying Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to do that, but I don't think he's looking like, oh, well, I got to play Pat Mahomes every year, you know, twice. I got to play him twice every year and go through him in the playoffs. I don't think he's worried about that. I definitely could see him ending up in Denver. I could see Julio Jones ending up in Denver. I think it'd be a really, really good fit. And, of course, I'd be ecstatic to see him out of Green Bay and not have to play him twice a year. And I'd be happy for Vic. I'd be really happy for Vic Fangio. I would be really happy for him. Honestly, (laughs) I may become a Broncos fan. That may be one of my favorite teams in the AFC if he goes there. I kid you not. Yeah, I think you want to talk about super team. But Denver just makes the most sense. They got their guy in the draft on defense, like you said, with Pat Sertain. They've really had a solid secondary for the last several years. Um, they've had some guys in and out. Chris Harris, A.J. Boye, Keep Tlaib over time. But the defense has been run well, and, and, and they've been solid. And like you mentioned, you know, you have Von Miller coming back. You still have Bradley Chubb. So you, you just look at the offense and defense and say, damn, like, you get Aaron Rodgers and then even bring in Julio, suddenly this is the team to beat in the AFC West maybe, um, you know, at least right there with the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are, are king in that division until taken down, but, you know, Denver's really going to be pushing them. So uh, we'll see how, how that plays out as well. But, you know, excited to see Rodgers on the move if it happens. I know Pac fans are down big right now, um, but, you know, sometimes these things happen. Look what happened to the Texans. So anyway. Uh, enough about Julio and Raj. A lot happening. If they end up on the same team, that would be insane. But I know you want to talk about Phil Mickelson, Josh. So let's wrap up the episode with this. He This is the first time I believe he's won the PGA Championship since 2005. Uh, and I think it's his first major since 2013. So, you know, an, another guy that we're getting to witness beat Father Time. Uh, right after Tiger won the Masters in 19. I mean, what a scene this was with fans. Uh, 50 years old. This course played very, very tough for these guys out there. Um, and he he took advantage of it and came out on top, went in by two strokes. Yeah. Um, I've been looking forward to talking about this because I just want to say me and you shared a really cool moment with the Masters in 2019 whenever Tiger won and um, I was fortunate enough to actually bet on Tiger prior to that tournament starting and, and won a good amount of cash. I had another buddy of mine, uh, Dylan, shout out Dylan Johnson, DJ Squared. He took uh, Tiger at um, plus 20,000 <laughs> um, and, and, and won a decent amount of change on that. I won't get into um, specifics, but a decent amount of change on that. So congratulations on that. Everyone else that bet on Phil. But this is just greatness, man. I mean – Phil is the people's champ. He always has been. That's one thing that's kind of been Tiger's knock is, you know, he's always just so focused and just such a competitive nature and mentality that 
you know, whenever he's playing, he's not willing to give that time and that energy into the fans and, and it's even some of the volunteers and stuff. And Phil always has been. You know, there's a saying, when putts go in, the thumbs go up. That's been one of Phil's favorite sayings. Um, he's always giving everybody a thumbs up. He's always looking to have a great time. Um, he's just an entertainer in the sports world and the golf world. And in golf, we don't have very many of those, right? You're just looking at some of the clips that have been posted, um, you know, yesterday after he won and even, you know, actually really going into Saturday once we realized he was going to actually be in a contention in this weekend. I mean, I don't remember the last time we saw Phil Mickelson in contention in a major. Um, so the fact that we were able to experience Tiger to win the Masters in 2019 and then now Phil Mickelson to win the PGA Championship in 2021 – um, and, and, and part of me, it's almost like, I, 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 I want to say T- Tiger's accident might've fueled Phil a little bit. And, and, and obviously not only considering that, but even Phil came out and said that whenever he watched Tiger win the masters in 2019, that it fueled Phil. Phil's always been second to Tiger in trophies, right? In majors and wins and everything, but it's been a damn good second. And I think the fact that we were able to experience both of these in a two-year span, the fact that Tigers have it right before COVID, I think Phil's is happening towards the end of COVID, seeing how many fans were there, seeing the freaking crowd that rushed 18 as soon as Phil hit that dang approach shot on uh, – eight, uh, I'm sorry, on um, – yeah, on 18, as soon as he hit that approach shot, I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing. One thing I did say, it kind of sucked having to see Phil and Brooks fight their way through the crowds, 18. I think that was a little unsafe, especially considering Brooks's knee being hurt. Uh, but what a sight to see, having been able to see fans like that at a golf tournament um, and, and, and forever. So an amazing tournament, amazing accomplishment, amazing feat. Uh, Phil becoming the oldest major winner of all time at the age of 50. I mean, dude, I hope at the age of 50 I'm able to even just continue to just play golf for fun. I mean, this guy's still out here shooting six under at a major championship on one of the hardest tracks that a major's been played on. Obviously, I would say other than Augusta, but that major's been played on. And this track played so hard, but Phil, like always, kept the game simple. Kept the game simple. He wasn't trying to bomb the ball all the time. He was just hitting fairways, hitting good approach shots, and his short game helped him win this tournament. The course was playing extremely tough. All the greens were just rolling off. But I swear it was almost every single time that you would catch Phil in a bad lie, whenever he'd have to get up and down for par, he was sticking it close with the chip and he was one putting. And that's what Phil does. Mm-hmm. Um, credit to Brooks. Brooks fought his tail off. Um, it was a great little showing of Brooks trying to compete on those last couple holes. But on um, on 16, whenever they both birdied on that par five, I kind of knew it was over at that point. Phil was really going to have to blow up. And I think mentally Phil's just been able to endure and accomplish too much in golf for him to be able to do that. So uh, great win. Phenomenal for golf. Phenomenal for golf. Um, I think this is what we needed today and everything that's going on. So extremely excited about that. And uh, hopefully he can keep it going, right? We don't want to have to wait another decade to see Phil be in contention and to win a major. Hopefully he can keep it going. 
hopefully Tiger can bounce back and um, hopefully they can still get a couple of these wins in before they completely pass on the torch to these younger cats out here like Brooks and Bryson and Jordan and, and even being able to see Ricky Fowler top 10. Uh, we haven't seen Ricky play top 10 in the major in a really long time. Uh, and I knew he was going to have a little, uh, you know, a little taste in his mouth because, you know, he, he hasn't been qualifying for too many tournaments. So um, that was good to see as well. So great tournament in and out, um, in and out course look beautiful um we need to go to the pga championship next year hopefully needed sports can be there and we can broadcast live and uh be able to crown um you know another great champion there so looking forward to that yeah that'd be an awesome experience what you said about ricky ricky has not been in contention for a while he just has not played good golf so it is nice to see him up there and again hats off to brooks kepka because he's still fighting through that that knee that you touched on um, I know he had that surgery just a few months ago now, so still fighting through that. So to even be in contention is honestly remarkable. Um, I really thought it was over once. I think it was on 10 or 11, um, right after the turn. I think simultaneously, Phil birdied and Kepka bogeyed. Um, Kep- Kepka's putting was atrocious on the back nine uh, for the first few holes from what I saw. It was, he was just not reading the greens well. Um, so at that and it ended up being a four-stroke lead. I think that pushed Phil to, to eight under, and then Kepka stayed at four under. But, um, yeah, again, remarkable performance. We got Phil Mickelson winning majors. We got the Knicks in the playoffs. We got Tim Tebow playing football. I don't even know what year it is anymore, bro, but I'm enjoying all of it as it goes and comes. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't even want to get started on the Tim Tebow conversation because that's going to take a whole another 20, 30 minutes. So maybe we'll get that in the next episode. Uh, you guys continue to follow us on social media, at Nita Sports, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And, again, if you have not joined our Facebook group, Needed Sports Sports Discussions, make sure you join and tune in. We love to get everybody involved. We love feedback. We love to talk daily sports and debate. And uh, just remember, don't get butt hurt. Everybody loves each other in there, but, hey, we love to debate. We love to talk crap, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in those those platforms. So thanks, everyone, and uh, we'll see you all next week.